Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. And I hope you got your copy of God's Word. I'm still smiling about Brody from yesterday. Um, We're going to go back to Psalm 32 this morning. Uh, It is the Beatitude of Forgiveness, Part 2. Only dealt with the first two verses yesterday. And uh, I kind of looked at that as how you see your sin. David, this is a penitential psalm. There are about seven of those. And uh, David is dealing now with instructing others how not to fall into sin uh, like he did. It's a reflection out of Psalm 51 where he repents of his sin. And in that psalm, he says, I will instruct the transgressor. Well, Psalm 32 is that instruction. This is where he fulfills what he had promised to God that he would do if God would forgive him. God, you know, forgive me and this is what I'll do. Restore me and this is what I'll do. So Psalm 32 is really, it's, it's called a mascal, which we think means a, a teaching or an instruction. And you're going to see and what we're going to look at this morning. That's exactly what he does. Verse one and verse two, we looked at yesterday and that was really his situation. And, and you see the blessedness of it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts uh, no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There is no covering up of his sin. Uh, that's a very big theme in this chapter. So now that's the situation. This is the first part. It's divided into several different parts here, really four parts. So let me come to the second part, which is verse three and verse four. It is um, David's desperation. Um, the, The situation is the reality now that God has forgiven him, but he looks back and he says, this is what my desperation uh, was like. David speaks from his own experience. In fact, you, you've just got to notice this. If you've got a pencil or a pen or whatever or highlighter, you, you need to you need to just kind of take note of all of these personal pronouns. I'll um, I'll make mention of them uh, in verses in verse five. In just a moment, but watch this. For when I kept silent, you see that my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Uh, Just keep notice these personal pronouns. Now what he's doing there is this is he's given his personal testimony. He says, let me, let me tell you, he doesn't go into all the ugliness of his adultery. He doesn't go step by step, you know, as if it's, there is some purient interest here. He just tells you what he felt like. He's just telling you, this is what sin did to me. Now, look at what he says. When I kept silent, when I, when I didn't confess, when I covered this stuff up, my bones wasted away. Now, let me show you another penitential psalm. Just put your finger here. Go over to Psalm 38 uh, because you're going to see it in uh, Psalm 38. He's going to say something very similar. Uh, Verse three, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. This is an interesting thing. The ancient Hebrews uh, would say, I'm, I'm sick in my bones. 
I'm, my, my bones are not well. Uh, it's how they described an internal illness or I, I'm sick. We, we say, well, I'm sick to my stomach. They would say, I'm sick to my bones. Um, that, that was just their expression. And that's what he's saying right here. He was saying, as long as I concealed my sin, as long as I kept it covered up, my bones wasted away. Um, this is unusual for David. David was such a robust man. David was an outdoorsman. He had been out in the fields with his father's sheep from the time he was a young boy on up. He fought a bear. He fought off a bear. He fought off a lion. He fought off, I'm sure, many other things. He faced down a giant. Uh, you know, this, this, this is so unlike David is that he's basically, basically saying, I'm just kind of wasting away. I'm languishing away here. Uh, look at the second part of this at the end of verse three, through my groaning all day long. He just says, this is all I do. I just kind of groan like a man who's, who's aching, like a man who is ill. I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm just kind of groaning. Now, what I take that to be is a tax of consciousness, that every time his mind goes to that act, every time his mind goes to what he did, he just kind of groans with it. Uh, look at verse four now. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. This is the heaviness of conviction in his life. If you are convicted of sin right now, I have a lot of people that come to me and uh, through my ministry, I've had a lot of people that would come to me and say, you know, I'm really concerned I'm not saved. Well, listen, and I always tell them this, you know, have you trusted me? Yes, I've done that. Have you asked the Lord? Yes, I've done that. I'm just not convinced. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm worried that I hadn't done it right. I'm worried that I'm not saved. And I tell, listen, that's proof right there of me. That's conviction. That's proof to me because lost people don't walk around saying, oh, I'm worried that I'm not saved. They don't even think about it. Well, here he's talking about the heavy hand of God's conviction that is on his life. It saps you of any, when you're under conviction, you don't have a lot of joy. When you're under conviction, you don't have a lot of happiness. When you're un under conviction, there's not a lot of celebration in your life. He says, I was under this heavy hand. That's the convicting hand of God on your life. What I've done is wrong. The end of verse four, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, when I read that, I immediately think all the way back to Psalm 1. Remember, um, I guess it was last week, we went over Psalm 1. He said, uh, this, this man, the blessed man, whose heart, whose delight, whose love is in the Lord, is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. David says right here, I'm drying up. I'm withering. He said, when I concealed my sin and covered up my sin and lived in my sin, he said, I just walked around and I was drying up on the inside. I was withering. In other words, I was the opposite of the guy in Psalm 1. I'm not blessed at all. And I'm dying on the inside. David had been so energetic. David had been the guy that was out ahead of the army. David had been the guy running to the battle. Not now. He's lethargic. 
He has no energy. He feels depleted. It's amazing how sin and covering up sin will leave you drained of all of life. Um, That's his desperation. As long as he covered this sin up, he was in this state of desperation. Now, that's his personal testimony. It's interesting to me. He doesn't go into all the ugly, dirty acts that he went through. So many people think that's my testimony. No, my testimony is I was miserable without Jesus Christ. Now, verse 5, the confession. Now, look at this. And again, let me take you back to these personal pronouns because four times in this one verse, he's going to use the little pronoun I, the personal pronoun I. Then he's going to use the personal pronoun my. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You, you hear, you hear those personal pronouns? This, this is David. David, David is instructed. And I'm going to come to that instruction in a second, but he's giving instruction by giving his personal testimony. He says, listen, let me tell you something. I came to the place where I confessed my sins. Now I just have to tell you no confession, no restoration, no confession, no forgiveness. Some people say, oh, well, that's works. That's what that is. It's baloney. It is an agreement. God is right. It is a confession. God is right. I'm a sinner. What I've done is wrong. That's what it is. And I'm telling you, go back and read Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, and he says, repent. All through the word of God, the word of God says repent. Repent is not a negative, folks. Uh, the pr- preacher gives an invitation, come to the altar to pray. I'm not going down. I don't want anybody to know I'm a sinner. We already know you're a sinner. <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, they're just going to sit there and speculate about it. Well, they're going to speculate if you don't. So repentance is not a negative. This is the greatest positive. Listen to what he says here. Because he, he comes and, and, and he says this to begin with, I acknowledged, I acknowledge my sin to you. Now, let me show you something else in the, in, the, in the words here. There are three words that he uses repeatedly for sin. Transgression, sin, iniquity, transgression. Do you see that right there in verse five? Same three words that he's used back up here. He's going to use them uh, again throughout this uh, instruction here. You see, used it in verse 1. He's using it in verse 5. It's sin, iniquity, transgression. We looked at those yesterday. Now watch this. Because three times we're told what, what God does. He forgives, he covered, and he did not count. God forgave his sin. God covered his sin. God did not count his iniquity against him. Now look at this. He's going to use three words for confess. Acknowledge, not covered, confess. Now let me, let me show you something interesting in this text that I saw about five o'clock this morning. It's kind of interesting and it's this. 
as long as David covered up his sin, God would never cover his sin. But the moment David uncovered his sin was the moment God covered his sin. That's just good stuff. Uh, That's just the word of God right there. It's an amazing thing. As long as I keep trying to cover up my sin, God will never cover it up. And let me tell you something. I could never keep it covered. You can never cover up your sin. And the moment I uncover my sin is the moment God comes and he covers it up. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. That is, I've come and I've come to the place where I acknowledged that what I did was wrong and what I did was sin. In fact, you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David confessed, he acknowledged, I have sinned against the Lord. And what God did there was God's going to pardon him. God's going to forgive him. On September the 8th, 1974, if you're old enough, you remember this. I remember it, seeing it on television. In 74, um, then-President Gerald Ford gave a full and complete pardon to Richard Nixon. Now, Nixon had been um, charged with uh, impeachment, uh, but it didn't get to the House because he resigned. He became the first president to resign in American history. Before it could ever get over to the House, he knew it was a foregone conclusion. They never arraigned him. They never tried him. Uh, they never convicted him. And yet, Gerald Ford comes out and pardons him. And there's a great outcry in the media, naturally. There's a great outcry uh, from the media, from a lot of people in the country. because Now listen, here, here was the odd thing. Nixon never confessed and admitted that he was guilty. Never admitted his guilt. I suppose that in American law, you know, the president can pardon somebody who never pleads guilty. But let me tell you something. Until you plead guilty before God, God will not forgive you. Until you confess your sins. That's what David says right here. He says, I've come and this is what I did. He said, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge it. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to try to hide it anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see the little word Selah? There are three in here. After he talked about his desperation, when I kept silent, my bones waxed, waxed through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Strength dried up. Selah, stop. Think about that. Think about how miserable you are in your sin. Then he comes and he talks about, I'm going to confess. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm not going to cover up my iniquity. I'm going to confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah, stop. Think about that. Just pause right here and think about it. Now David comes to his instruction. Now watch this. Here's his instruction right here. Verse six and verse seven, therefore, again, what's the therefore, therefore, it is there uh, because of everything that he has just said, because I'm miserable in my sin, because I acknowledged my sin before God, I confessed it, 
I repented of it. I didn't cover it up anymore. Therefore, let me tell you what you need to do. Now watch it what he says right here because this is pretty interesting. He comes and he says in verse six, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, speaking to God, at a time when you may be found. Now that's an interesting statement, when you may be found. So the first part of that is pray. In fact, let me, let me read something to you out of Isaiah chapter 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, what's he going to do? Is he going to go away? Will I not be able to find him? Uh, is he going to go and hide from me? Call upon him while he's near. Well, what's he going to Is he going to go far away from me? No, but you will get so far away from him that he will seem as if he is far away from you. Now think about that. There's a tipping point in sin, and I think that's exactly what David is talking about here. I think David is saying that there is this tipping point. There comes a moment in the midst of the seduction of temptation where the flesh yields, the mind commits, and the flesh yields, and at that moment, you're not thinking about God anymore. You're not praying anymore. You're not talking to God anymore. You're not listening to God anymore. You are far away from God. And for all tents and purposes, it seems that he is very, very far away from you. David says, I know that tipping point. I know what it was to walk across a rooftop and to look down and to see Bathsheba. And I knew I came to a moment where my mind committed and my flesh was gone. Pray before that moment. That's what he's saying. Offer prayer to you, God, at a time where you, when my mind hasn't already gone into sin. Because, listen, let me tell you, that's where it begins in your mind. It goes, look, he says, here is, now that's the word I hope you catch right there. Let me give you the second thing. Here comes the power. When I, when I call out to God before my mind reaches that tipping point and my flesh is, is gone into it then, and God seems very far away when in actuality I'm far away. He says, when I stop and pray, he says, surely in the rush of great war, as that temptation is rushing towards me, it's, it, it starts out as a tiny ripple. That's when you need to pray. But by the time it's this great tsunami and it's about to rush over you, he says, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. It becomes too great at that moment. You're already committed. You're gone. But here's the power of God right here. The power the protection of God, you are a hiding place for me. That when temptation is just a ripple, run and hide yourself in him. Now, that's a very famous phrase, hiding place. We get it from Corey Ten. Well, Corey Ten Boom gets it from here. It's mentioned a couple of times, I think once in Psalm 119. It's also mentioned here. Uh, we're familiar with it, not from the psalm. We're familiar with it because of Corey Ten Boom's life. The Ten Boom family, very committed Christians, lived in Holland or the Netherlands, uh, uh, right out of uh, Amsterdam, and about an hour out of Amsterdam is a place called Holland, uh, um, Harlem. 
in Holland. And uh, that's where Papa Ten Boom had his watch shop and they lived above it. And there was a hiding place there where the Ten Boom family hid Jews. They hid the free Dutch who were fighting against the Nazis. They could stand up about seven, six, seven, eight people um, right inside of a wall, in between the wall, the interior wall and the outside wall. And Corey and Betsy Ten Boom's headboard hit against that wall. They hid the people right in there. Now, the Germans knew that they were hiding Jews and the Free Dutch. They knew that they were hiding them, but they never... Listen, this is how great the hiding place was. They never, ever discovered the hiding place. That's what David is saying. You're a hiding place for me. Sin can't find me when I'm hiding in him. I ought to stop right there, but I'm not. Uh, you preserve me from trouble. You, pr- you protect me. You guard me. There's peace. There's peace in the hiding room. But look at this. Here comes the praise. Now, this is the interesting thing right here. It's not David singing praises to God. You're going to get to that in verse 11. This is not David singing praise to God because, God, you've delivered me from temptation. You've delivered me from sin. You've delivered me from falling over into rebellion against you. He says, it is you surrounded me with shouts of deliverance. That's God. You know, all I can think about is um, Thessalonians chapter 4 where we're told, and the Lord will come with a shout and the trump of the Lord and the voice of the archangel. Um, there's a shout here. In fact, listen to this. You think God shouts deliverance over you? When you turn to him, do you think he shouts deliverance? Listen to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love, gentle. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I think that in a moment of temptation, when we turn to the Lord and we say, Oh God, deliver me, I think he shouts victory over us. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I like the old stuff, the rifleman. Can't get any better than that. Chuck Connors. Um, Almost every episode, here comes Mark running to his dad. Paul, Paul, Paul. You know, something terrible is about to happen. And here's Lucas McCain. And he just takes that big old hand and he sweeps that boy and he puts that boy behind him. And here comes the sound of deliverance right here. He takes that big old rifle and he spins it. He caught, you can hear it all through the TV. You know, David is saying, this is surround sound right here for me. The sound of God's deliverance, his shout of deliverance is all around me. I think of that, that shout of deliverance like old Lucas McCain just cocking, swinging that 30-30. And uh, it's going to deliver him. God will deliver you. God bless.